So welcome to the April 4th, 2023 City Council work session. And we are electronic today due to severe weather watching our community. And we wanted to make sure that we can keep everyone as safe as possible. Uh, we're going to start with our agenda items. Item number one, Riverfront Crossing Orchard Subdistrict Discussion. And I know that this was one that Councillor Thomas asked to have on this agenda, so probably turn it over to you. Okay. Thanks, Mayor. Well, after the, you know, the vote on the Orchard District, uh, the, you know, the staff mentioned that staff would like some sense of direction from the City Council. So I've certainly been considering uh, that and discussing it with others as to how, you know, what what direction, what what approach might be considered for the Orchard District. And so I also was, in, you know, as a starting point, beginning to look at, you know, what was the, you know, the, the history of the Miller Orchard District had some prior uh, re, re, uh Rezonings where it was rezoned to Orchard District, the, the Shive Hattery project, which was several years ago, uh, proposed a development which was what was which was approved by council, uh, and it was on the north, uh, the southern end of the Orchard District. And at that, during that process at the uh, Planning and Zoning Commission's hearing, there was some concern about whether the proposal belonged in that location. Um, I can recall Mark Sines saying that it, it felt to him that the, the project belonged in riverfront crossings on the other side of the river. And I know at council, and perhaps Pauline, if you have any memories of that, you know, there were concerns about the project as well. And I, I would maybe try to summarize them by saying that the, the frontage of the project, because it was on the south side, uh, was on Benton Street, and I know that council had some concerns if it seemed again to be su sufficiently sensitive to the context there. We did approve it. The um, Shive Hattery project, I think, had a, a high level of design, which uh, I know influenced my decision. But that was that was what it what it reminded me of was there there are areas within the Orchard District which suggest to me that there may be opportunities for improvement, meaning a better fit, a better sense of tra transition that could occur in this project. Um, the other thing I would mention is in this was in addition to the Riverfront Crossing District, and if you look at the master plan, uh, the exist the original master plan. Uh, all the districts uh, had, they had depictions of the district in three dimensions in terms of understanding where development might occur and the scale of the, the projects. So you would see the, you know, kind of a rendering which showed the massing and scale, the, the building placements, where, where the opportunities were for development. And it gave you a picture in a sense of uh, what what was being proposed in these sub-districts. That wasn't done in the Orchard District to my knowledge. We had, um, you know, we had a, we certainly discussed it, uh, but I don't recall ever seeing an attempt to um, 
express within the Orchard District what kind of ultimate build-out might look like, like in terms of the yield in the district. So I think one of my reactions to the most recent proposal was this was the first time I had seen the full district in a kind of build-out form, and it, it took me by surprise and, and began to ask, cause me to ask myself, can, can we approach this in a different way where it would uh, more successfully realize that goal that was stated of providing a transition between Riverside West and the Miller Orchard neighborhood. I think there's perhaps opportunities as well, I hope, in this project to at least incorporate into the discussion the question of affordable housing. I know we have, you know, the Riverfront Crossings already has its own code-related issues associated with that. Um, but I nevertheless think that that district may be an opportunity for, for providing affordable housing. Uh, and I, I think it would be interesting to see if we can't come up with a strategy where that might be possible. So what I began to see was there may be kind of a, the, the, I was seeing the hint of a kind of a gradient of density, if you will, from the uh, southern edge of the property along Benton to the, to the north edge along the railroad tracks. Uh, another observation on, on the process and the existing conditions was that we already have a development within the Orchard District. We have the project by Ryan Wade, um, <coughs> rest of the Kevin Hannock project. And it's, you know, a three-story building kind of matches up with the, the code of the, um, of the Orchard District. It, you know, was pretty much conforming with that. And there, too, I wasn't sensing that there was an issue with, with that particular project. And I think it had something to do, again, with its location, that it was um, compositionally more related to the Hannock project and also so far back from Benton Street that its impact on that transitional character wasn't as significant. Um, so it's, again, seemed that there may be opportunities to explore how we we apply different degrees of density um, within the district itself as an approach toward um, achieving that transition. Um, I was, I'm also interested in, in seeing if we can't look at ways in which um, one of the, the goals of our um, strategic plan, which was promoting the idea of um, you know, high quality uh, open space, outdoor space, might be something to at least consider. Uh, and I, 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 I mention that in part because we are seeing considerable development in that general area. And also that um, Miller Orchard you know, has been identified as a neighborhood which is lacking in open space. So it, if it's possible to create uh, such a space within, within the Orchard District, it might be able to serve not only those who are living in the Orchard District itself, but the surrounding area. And another, another aspect, and kind of re relating to the, the, at least the open space aspect of this is, I'm always interested in trying to find models of what it is I'm talking about. So if, if there are local examples of building designs or building types um, that seem appropriate to me, um, to consider, consider those in the discussion. 
With regard to the idea of public open space, the small park in the Peninsula neighborhood seemed like a possibility. I think it's roughly 12,000 square feet in that, that range. Um, so with the higher densities, if you build up uh, higher density, I think in a way what that provides an opportunity for is to serve that higher density uh, with, with a, an open space shared in common. So all of these, these are factors that, you know, that, that I've been thinking about uh, and discussing with others. Um, I do feel that in terms of a process, I would, I would like us to consider the uh, use of a consultant who is familiar with the, um, you know, the situation we're dealing with, which is a, a transition between you know, a very urban uh, transect feature, you know, the, the, Riverside, um, the Riverside district within riverfront crossings, the orchard district itself, which is intended to serve as kind of a transition between the Riverside development and this third element, which is the existing single-family home to the homes to the neighborhood to the west. So, so looking for a consultant who is familiar with form-based coding, both at the um, comprehensive plan level and the zoning code level, to see if we can't. And, and this is, gets, gets into the mayor's uh, language, Mayor Throgmorton's language of co-crafting a concept that um, we find is acceptable and supported by you know, all those who have a stake in this, in this area. So, so those are kind of my preliminary thoughts. Um, and you know, I thought this might be an, a way to, to begin the conversation. May I ask a question? You said a couple of times that you've talked with others. I would be interested to know who and, and are they sort of sharing that vision? Um, what? Who? Yeah, I've, uh, you know, sh I've shared it with the former mayor, Jim Throgmorton. Mm -hmm. um, I've shared it with some of the council members. Just here's, here's what I'm thinking. Just, you know, I'm throwing this on the table to start a conversation. And um, feel that that's, for me anyway, it's a way of trying to understand what the issues are. It's very hard for me, you know, given the, the nature of the problem, to sort of conceive of how, how I might respond or how they, you know, we come up with a concept that would work um, without beginning to sort of, you know, put a paper to a pen to or a pencil to a piece of paper and understand what, what that might translate to. Um, in terms of process, um, you know, I'm sort of looking back on, on my years here at this point. And, you know, one of the first experiences I had with rezoning was on the uh, Lynn Bloomington corner, Katie corner, to uh, Poly Eye. And that was a project that had been zoned. Uh, or a proposal was, was submitted to the, to the council for zoning that corner. And the, the council uh, rejected the first concept. Uh, I was at that time the Northside Neighborhood Coordinator and had you know, raised issues that, that I felt were of a concern. And the council did, they, they approved the rezoning but in a different form than the proposal uh, was suggesting. And so the, 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 the zoning in a modified version went forward and the proposal failed. Uh, the 
developer was very interested. You know, after the meeting, I will never forget Jesse Allen coming to me and saying, John, what is it you want? And I said, Jesse, it's really what the neighborhood would like. And so he agreed to have some, a series of meetings uh, in the neighborhood, and the result of that process was the building that's there now. Um, I'm pleased with it. I think it's, it's an example of infill and a Main Street, uh, you know, kind of Midwestern Main Street location that, you know, is, is a new building, but it kind of fits into the character of our Northside Marketplace. Uh, so that, that for me personally has been an example of the, you know, the opportunity we have when we, we develop something, feel that maybe there could be improvements on it, explore what those uh, improvements might be, and uh, you know, have kind of a public discussion as to how we, how we might approach the problem. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly having those collaborative conversations are, are useful. One, one thing that I noted and took uh, notes on, actually, you were talking about opportunities for um, different kinds of density, and you were saying, and again, more green space and talking about building up higher density, right, um, to allow for more green space. And I mean this merely as a point of fact, but wasn't one of the issues that it was too high to begin with, in your estimation? No, it wasn't. It wasn't the height. The uh, the the issue was that it was the density. Well, density density is not supposed to factor into um, you know the form based code as we've written it written it. But I I would suggest we need to we need to keep it in mind uh, as part of the process. But the the other and in fact, if you look at the master plan, there were proposal, as I said, proposals developed where you could, you could calculate the density based on the information given to you. For example, the, the Hannock property, uh, the density there in the, in the proposed master plan or adopted master plan, but it's, you know, it's the comprehensive plan, so not zoning code, was around uh, 20 to 30 units per acre. Uh, so no, the, the issue that I was trying to address during council's meeting was the fact that you know the the comp plan called for transition or uh, you know design the transition uh, in mass and scale so that it serves as a transition between mm -hmm. riverfront and um, the neighborhood, and that mass is more than just simply building height. Mass is 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 both the the you know the horizontal. The, <laughs> The horizontal dimensions making up the built form and and the height, the, the vertical. Uh, it's so you need to factor all of those in. Which, in the more recent codes, uh, the Rorit and South District codes, they do talk about building footprint. So so those those elements of the language have been incorporated into our more recent form-based codes, which also are residential codes. The Miller Orchard District is a residential area. It doesn't have the mixed use that's more typical of the Riverfront Crossings District as a whole. I have a question. Have you spoke to the developer that came before us to present in this? I would like to. I have. I called. I put in a call, but I hadn't haven't heard back from him. Okay. When it comes down to this uh, project specifically, we had um, petitions that came in that required a supermajority for 
um, for the the votes amongst this council, and it wasn't successful um, to move this project forth. So I really believe that starting with the developer is probably the greatest path forward for this project. Outside of that, I do hear, you know, this greater conversation, which um, I know that you are uh, an advocate for, on really getting into what is in our strategic plan, which is, you know, initiate a comprehensive plan update and subsequent zoning code review to more broadly incorporate form-based principles with emphasis on growth areas first and infill areas next, expanded and missing middle housing allowances, minimum density requirements, and streamlined approval processes. Um, so I know that you, both you and Councilor Ta uh, Taylor has been on council longer than any of us, and then I'm, I'm next in line. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I've seen um, some strides forward um, since I've been on council. South uh, form-based code in the South District. Um, certainly before that, um, the, um, you know, there's, we have some examples of form-based code already within the community. And the process forward, as you mentioned, would use a consultant. I, I strongly believe that for our next move to get in line with our strategic plan is probably gonna require us using a consultant. And, and even on our work session, we have a work session agenda um, that, you know, that says pretty much what I just read is initiate a comprehensive plan update and sub subsequent zoning code review, um, dot, 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 dot. So if we want to get um, to a place where there's understanding, for people within the community that want to bring us a project, then we need to get to this next level because what we saw here was a developer that um, worked hard with staff to understand what the allowables were. We had staff that said to us, we worked really hard with this uh, developer, changed some things, you know, and then we had PNZ who, ultimately approved it and then you know it gets to council and then it doesn't go go forth and so ultimately i think the whole goal is um that we need to look at big picture um and, and there is strategies um that have been outlined uh, and that is as you've mentioned maybe doing pilot you know yeah. pilot opportunities um, as we move forth and through this process, but I would say that the question for this council it expands upon, uh, expands beyond just the Orchard District at this point, and it's a part of our strategic plan. We have it for 2024 to 2028 to um, make some advances, and I think that we can certainly get a plan together to start that process, as you mentioned, and I think using a consultant is really gonna be in our best interest. I, uh, of course, I agree with, with Councillor Thomas's um, proposals here and, and the thought that we need to, to look at this and perhaps from a consultant and also from the developer and work with the developer. Um, and Mayor Teague, you mentioned the, um, that 
the vote failed, um, and that was the six or seven of us. Six of us didn't. It didn't pass with that. Um, but it was due to the petition filed by a number of the neighbors who uh, were against this, and it was the neighbors. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. We have good neighbor policies for a reason. Uh, but we need to listen to these people. They know their neighborhood. They know what would work best. Um, and it's not just change. It's not that they don't like to change. Most of them have said that they don't mind a development being in that area, but uh, they just would like it to be appropriate and consistent um, with the flow of the neighborhood. So that's all. So I guess I just wanted to make sure that um, your intent for this conversation has at least existed um, amongst this council. My thought is that you just wanted to bring light. I, yeah, I was I was trying to respond to to staff's concerns, and I, I share them. I, I don't I don't like orchard hanging in its current situation. <laughs> Uh, I would like to begin exploring what some of the possibilities may be there. And I, I do know Ryan Wade. I, I, I've met with him. Um, he is the developer of the cafe up on North Dodge, which I think is a really great project. Uh, I like, I'm, I'm, I have no objection, uh, and unlike the, the one building that's already in the Orchard District, I, you know, it's there, it's part of, we part of the conversation, and as I said, it, it's influenced my way of thinking about this question of transition and that, you know, the some of the terms that you see in the more recent form-based codes of house form and block form, uh, the the northern portion of the of the site or the, the district, I think, and it's three and a half acres, so it's a fairly sizable area. Um, there is an opportunity for block form buildings on the north side, which, which is effectively what we had in the original proposal. Uh, and I think given the location there, its distance from Benton, you have the back of the property, the northern edge is the railroad tracks. There's just a different sense of scale to the, to the north end of the project. It's, it seems to me the opportunity for looking at integration into the neighborhood, Miller Orchard neighborhood is at the southern end and how, how can we use house forms? And when I say house forms, I'm thinking not um, cottage courts, I'm thinking you know, small apartments that may be an opportunity to, again, increase the scale, and uh, not the scale, the density of the existing conditions, but try to, to incorporate the notion of house form into the development, um, which would have more consistency in, in form, again, mass and scale with the Miller Orchard neighborhood. So, so those are, again, I, you know, it's design is an, an iterative process. You know, it takes, you know, it moves hopefully forward in, in you know, a consistent direction, but it's, it's always, subject to change and, and revision and, you know, hopefully that will all end up in a synthesis that we're all pleased with. That's the way I'm, that, that's been my experience in Iowa City, um, that, uh, it, you know, it is possible to open, open the process up a little bit. Um, Horace Mann, I think, was another great example. There was a neighborhood meeting, which I missed because we were, we had a council meeting that night, but, um, 
Uh, it was a very successful meeting uh, with between the neighborhood and the school district, and there too, I think, Horace Mann is a fabulous built project in terms of preserving the historic character while addressing the needs, you know, contemporary needs of, of the community uh, and integrating that addition into the existing in a way that um, was beautifully, you know, beautifully executed. So, so I'm, I, I've been involved with projects like this. I know it can work. Um, and I'm hoping we can, you know, begin the process and, and see where it goes. So our timeline, just uh, to um, go back to what at least I mentioned about the changes of the comprehensive, uh, updates to the comprehensive plan and the subsequent zoning code review, that is fiscal year 2024, which starts, you know, July, really, for us. So um, I guess, you know, it, I, I would say that I know that this is a concern for all of the counselors just to kind of unify um, understanding amongst um, developers, residents within the neighborhood, staff and the council, PNZ. Um, we just have to figure out, you know, what is the next step uh, as a council to direct staff. Um, so. I know that it's a priority of, it's been a, a major deal because there is such a missing middle and affordable housing is a need. Um, so I, I would be in favor in, you know, signaling to staff that we really do want um, staff to, you know, concentrate on this as well as um, considering options of how can we achieve it, which would include a, a consultant. Mayor, can I, can I jump in? Because I yeah. think we're, we're talking about a couple different things here, um, and I want to address some of the earlier comments, but um, you're focusing on the overall comp plan for the entire city, the overhaul of the entire comprehensive plan, uh, which we intend to kick off this year. Uh, we'll, I think it's listed on your pending work session topics as a potential joint meeting with P&Z. We'd like to have our staff come to you and talk about what a comp plan overhaul looks like. It's a multi-year process that does not focus just on riverfront crossings, but focuses on the city as a whole. So it would incorporate all those sub-districts, uh, would include traditional zoning areas and um, uh, form-based code zoning areas. It's a very high level. It is not going to get at whatever fixes the council may think is necessary for the Orchard Benton district. Yes, we will need a third party to, to execute that broader vision, but understand that's a you know, that's probably a five, six month consultant selection process followed by two to three years worth of work um, before you adopt that comp plan and then you get to the zoning code, which is the mechanics of, of how to implement that. So that's the big picture one. And if I could just make a few comments on the Orchard Benton, I'd, I'd appreciate it. And given that we're all remote here, um, I just want to acknowledge that we have some planning staff online and, and I want to make sure they have an opportunity to weigh in on anything that we may be missing uh, in this discussion. Um, I'm going to, I guess where I'd like to start is just, just recognizing that regulating land use is a pretty incredible responsibility for a city to have. You are telling a private property owner. Recording in progress. 
what they can and cannot do with their property. That is a that is a truly awesome responsibility, and we have to recognize that um, um, that has real impacts on on people um, when you're when you're deciding what rules they have to play by when they when when they're going to to develop or redevelop their property. Um, in this case, um, we have been working with um, predominantly the, the only property owner in this area. Now, there's been land acquisition along the way, but um, re really, truly, one property owner um, in this in this kind of district addition. We did. We started working with um, that person in 2015, and the council started the process of um, a, um, amending the comprehensive plan in 2016. In July of 2016 is when council set the vision for the Orchard Benton Street subdistrict. And since that time, as Councilor Thomas and Councilor Taylor noted in their comments, there has been some steps forward, right? We, we then did the zoning code. There was uh, plans approved for a building that is that is built there against uh, kind of behind Hannock's uh, building there. You mentioned Ryan Wade's project there. I believe that was the first project to comply with the Riverfront Crossings um, affordability requirement. If it wasn't, it was actually before that requirement was adopted. Um, so um, one of the one of the first projects in, in Riverfront Crossing that I think has been successful. The subsequent rezoning, which uh, was referred to as the Shive Hattery rezoning, um, was approved by the council. Um, that's also the same developer that, that owns that land. Shive was the architect for that. Shive was not the owner for that uh, uh, for that project. I believe Shive has been the architect on on that one and the built and the built project. Um, those changes, th those rules that we set for the redevelopment of the property, particularly when we get into the zoning code, those aren't 20 or 30 or 40 years old like we sometimes will run into. Those are really new in, in the in the kind of the, the 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 span of zoning codes, five six years old zoning code. That is pretty new zoning code material. So we set these cooperatively with the, with with the owner. Um, that owner knew what he was inheriting with those land use regulations, and and the council and the, and the public um, hopefully would have understood that too, having gone through the, the multiple public hearings to get that adopted. Where I have concern is if we say let's 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 call time out here and let's change what those rules are now, and let's consider bringing in a third party that may it, where it may take. If you if you bring in a third party, you're going to you're going to try to broker a solution over a long period of time. In the meantime, you're leaving somebody fairly in in limbo here, um, in terms of what they can and can't do with their property. We're not the property owner, um, and I think if we want very specific outcomes um, for a particular property, we should be the property owner, or we should get our checkbook out and be willing to incentivize those things like we have on other projects when, we, when we've seen that we want something a little bit different than maybe what the market would produce under, under the current rules. We've used tax increment financing, or we could explore tax abatement or anything like that to help us achieve additional public goals. So if you think about open, extra open space or affordable housing in addition to what the code requires, we should be willing to buy the property, or we should be willing to, um, again, incentivize to get those extra extra public goods. So my concern, I, I guess, where, just so you know where staff is now, we still have the same zoning code. We still have the same comp plan. If we get another application and we're going to judge it against that in our in our best professional opinion, and it's going to come back to you. So um, 
that's where that's where it's tough here because I, I don't know that um, I, I'd expect you all to know how to surgically amend the the um, the zoning code or change the comp plan in order to achieve what you want. But I also don't know enough about what you want. I mean, from a staff standpoint, the code that was adopted, the vision that was adopted. Um, still produces what we thought we were getting at that time when we adopted those rules. So I just want to make it kind of draw that distinction to say if we get another app, we're going to have to move that through the system and you may be faced with a very similar project unless you kind of signal to me that, hey, we want to we want you to um, utilize all the tools in the toolbox uh, to, to try to produce something that might get you X or Y or Z. Well, I, I would just say, again, and I'm just speaking for myself here, obviously, you know, it, in the preliminary work that I've been doing, um, I, I, I want to make it clear, I, the, the vision I have is not, in my view, a radical change from, from what's there now. Uh, I, I've been trying in my earlier comments to sort of explain where I think you know, one could make changes, but I'm not, I'm not at all considering or proposing wholesale change. So I'm, perhaps there are ways, as uh, you know, the mayor asked if I had met with the developer, I'm happy to meet with if, however we feel it would be most appropriate with staff and the developer and review those plans. Uh, anything we might do to, um, accelerate the, the, the process on this um, and, and arrive at a, a solution, uh, I'm happy to help in any way I can. And I, and I understand the gravity. I mean, I tried to explain what I felt um, at the beginning again, that um, this was a different process vis-a-vis -vis other sections of riverfront crossings in terms of providing an indication of where things were going within the Orchard District. And it wasn't until that full three and a half acres was shown in a proposal uh, that it became evident what, what that was. And um, so I, again, I was just looking back, trying to understand how, how was it that we arrived here? Um, but I, I, I'm happy and, and willing to do whatever we can to um, see if we can articulate that vision as quickly as possible. So it sounds like you're um, hopefully planning to meet with the developer and just have a discussion. And certainly um, we're not, we're very used to conditions, right, with, with developers. But I think having a conversation with the developer is probably the next appropriate step. You all are, okay. Yeah, and I, I just think it's a weird procedural position that we're in because there was four counselors who were okay with it. Yeah, and I, so, I know. You yeah. have the majority. Right? I understand. <laughs> and so I think, yeah, that makes it a little harder to know what the next step might be, but that, that makes a lot of sense to me to talk with him and see where you can get. Okay. I think, um, Councillor Thomas, I would hope that if, uh, I would be willing to meet also with you with the, with the developer. I think. A big question, and I appreciate all of Jeff's comments, but it kind of boiled down to not the entire comp plan, but what do we really mean by 
the transition, you know, uh, and, and the compatibility with surrounding zonings or neighborhood. And I think if we can kind of make that clear to the developer that this is sort of what our vision is for that as far as the city. So I think making that more clear too. I think those, not, not the entire comp plan or the entire uh, zoning for that area, but, but those points. What, what do we really mean by being compatible and, yeah. Well, and I would just say also that it sounds like, if I'm understanding it correctly um, from the city manager, that in having that conversation, um, it, it will be a negotiation of sorts because four of us did pass it and it conformed to existing code, right? So if you if there's a, more of a back and forth in talking about what you would like to see, um, I think that it also means there does need to be a conversation among council about what are we willing to pull out of a toolbox to use, right? Because I, for what it's worth, the developer and the property owner, you know, they were together with staff saying, we think we have something that can move forward, right? Um, so in order to get sort of more of a vision of perhaps what transition looks like, I think that's a conversation that all council has to talk about. What are we willing? What tools are we willing to put out there? Because I'm not sure that, do you see where I'm going with that? Well, right? I, yeah, I would say I think, in my experience, if we can articulate a vision that we all agree to, then that vision will help inform us in terms of, do we need to consider, you know, this investing, the city investing in whatever way we need to in order to achieve safe, affordable housing uh, as a part of the project? rather than you know the the idea of a fee and lieu what what will it take to to get us to be able to do this in a way which makes sense on the prop, you know on in the district itself um, but i you know i, I think when, once the once you have the plan then you know some of these other pieces start falling into place I, um, before we move on, it sounds like we're probably at the end of this conversation, but before we move on, I just wanted to at least acknowledge that you did ask council if we kind of supported you going to the developer, but um, any counselor can go to any developer and have a conversation. And I just don't want it to be misconstrued that we're actually asking you to represent this body. Fair. So you would be going independently, sure. you and Councillor Taylor on your own with your own thoughts. So just wanted to make that clarification. Good enough. Mr. Mayor, if I can offer one additional clarification to that, uh, well, maybe two. One is that uh, there's been some discussion of the developer and also separate discussion of the property owner. Uh, I'm not sure the developers who presented to you are, are still in the picture. Uh, and so it might be that those conversations should be directed to the owner of the property, uh, okay. Ryan Wade. The second thing is uh, the only kind of caution I would offer for council members that have discussion with, say, the property owner as to um, what they'd like to see there is to not be so specific in that, again, the council's decision or the council's vote is whether their rezoning application is consistent with the comp plan and, you know, and the code. What we'd want to avoid is saying, you know, I'd like this building here and this building here and then, you know, that, again, unless, as the city manager said, you're willing to kind of get out the checkbook and, and, and pay for that, because otherwise what comes before you in an application for rezoning is just whether it's compliant, not whether it's perfect, you know, in your mind. That's all. 
Am I correct in understanding to one other layer of this is um, because this failed the last time because of the signatures um, and made it require a supermajority, that one other layer of this that we can't actually control or predict is whether or not there would be another petition, like, like you know, there's also that a complication there, right? I mean, anything you do is the best guess of will it spark another round of uh, of uh, neighborhood opposition. Um, so just, just I don't know that there's an answer to that question, but I think it's worth noting that that the, the dynamic in this particular issue is is even strange. Well, it's well, my thought would be, in, in a way similar to meeting with the property owner, I could meet. And if any other counselors were interested, meet with representatives of the neighborhood as well, and you know, see see where all these these conversations lead. But I, I certainly um, uh, would would want to have some sense of the you know the reaction or response from the neighborhood as well. All right. We're going to move on to item number two, Rochester Avenue reconstruction project. And this is also one that you brought. Thank you. Um, well, council's been getting a dose of emails <laughs> on this one, um, but I, I was, I, I, I did wanted to try to summarize, um, you know, by way of a timeline and points of discussion, uh, what happened over the period from mid-August 2022 and um, where we are now. Uh, I, it's, it's about the same length as Sean's email, so it's, um, you know, it's, uh, I'll, I'll try to, I tried to be as brief as possible, but there were certain points along the way um, that I did want to mention, and, and I sort of begin by saying I was not expecting this this uh, issue to last as long as it did or be as complicated as it was. Um, but so this is, this is just trying to articulate perhaps what happened that cre caused it to last as long as it did. Uh, so, so in mid-August of 2022, uh, three council members, myself, Pauline, and Janice Weiner met, began discussions with staff, uh, prompted by the Rochester neighbors concerned about with the costs and impacts of the proposed retaining wall, um, portions of which uh, would be around five and a half feet tall. It's a variable height wall, but some, some portions would be around five and a half feet. Um, I think the council members were unclear as to how that, why that was necessary. We were widening the road by 18 inches. And uh, you know how, how did widening the road 18 inches result in a building a wall that in some cases was five and a half feet tall? And, and staff explained that the embankment slope uh, along that stretch uh, exceeded the maximum slope allowed in city code, which is 3.5 to one, which I know, what, what does that mean? Uh, 3.5 3 to one means for every three and a half feet of horizontal distance, you have a rise of one foot. Uh, a two-to-one slope, uh, two feet of horizontal distance to one foot of vertical rise is, is roughly what a stairway is in terms of a relationship. So if you see a slope that more or less aligns with a set of stairs, it's probably around two-to-one. And some of the slopes that are existing out there on the embankment are two-to-one. 
so that was mid-August, and mid-September, uh, Martin and Whitaker, which surveys and engineers consultant to the Rochester neighbors, submitted a value engineering assessment to city staff, evaluating the need for retaining walls and the disturbance to tree and landscaping in the natural area. The letter detailed potential changes to the extent and height of the wall. Uh, the assessment noted that the existing embankment slopes exceeded city code and, and appeared stable thus raising the question as to whether slopes steeper than code could be utilized, possibly in conjunction with other various erosion control measures less expensive and impactful as retaining walls and tree removal. Uh, the assessment ended by noting that most of the changes proposed could be done with very minimal, minimal redesign or just finalized with field engineering. Contractors would be paid based on as-built quantities previously previously approved unit prices. A couple of weeks later, in late September, city, city staff responded to the Martin and Whitaker assessment. They agreed to shorten the wall by, at two locations, reducing the overall length by 95 feet. The rest of the wall would remain as proposed. Staff cited Snyder and Associates' recommendation, which referenced the city's slope requirements, which stated, and stated, increasing the slope of this embankment will increase the likelihood of slope failure. Uh, in late November then, um, Whitaker and Martin, Martin and Whitaker responded in a letter to a number of questions from the neighborhood uh, Rochester neighbors. The response confirmed the location of an existing 16-inch water main below the proposed retaining wall and also confirmed the need for the four-foot concrete slab between the wall and the street curb, which is to give further structural support to the retaining wall, and also noted that building a retaining wall over the top of an existing water main would result in removing and replacing it when the water main breaks and needs repair. The letter also affirmed the use of three-to-one slopes as typical in their engineering practice. They also noted uh, that they, they never found the city code referencing the three and a half to one. So that, you know, they were basically working and proposing, uh, you know, their approach was based on their own professional practice. They just did not find anywhere the uh, three and a half to one slope. I would say anecdotally, as a landscape architect, we would use three to one too. I mean, that, that's sort of a standard, uh, in, in my experience, was a standard uh, slope in areas that were not planted in lawn. Um, so in early January of 2023, um, I found the city code reference. It was uh, referenced in, in one of um, Snyder and Associates' letters. So in, in the code, it stated, as, as we all now know, that the slope of a cut and fill surface shall be no steeper than is safe for the intended use and shall be no steeper than three and a half to one, unless the owner or responsible party furnishes a soils or a geology report or both, stating that an investigation of the site reveals that a cut and fill on a steeper slope will nonetheless be stable and will not create a hazard to life or to property. Um, so at that point, um, Council members met with staff to determine if a soils or geology report had been prepared for the project. Staff stated that they were not sure and would look back into it. Uh, a month later, in early February, 
staff responded to council, the council members, uh, Thomas, Taylor, and Harmson, stating that a soils report was completed in 2020. According to staff, the report indicated possible instabilities in the soil that ultimately led to the recommendation for the retaining wall. Uh, I asked for the report, and upon reading it, I, I disagree with staff on whether the report included soil testing in the embankment area. And my disagreement is based on, on what is stated on page eight of that report under the section of retaining walls, which states that the report, the report states that the scope of work did not include exploration and evaluation of the soil on the existing slope, i.e. retains the zone. So that, that's sort of where it is now. Um, you know, I still feel that uh, requesting the soils test would, would verify what was stated by Snyder and Associates back in late April, you know, when they said that uh, the embankment, if we increase the slope on the embankment, it would increase the likelihood of slope failure. Um, a, a soils report would tell us whether or not um, there is that likelihood. So, it, I, I, again, I just feel um, if the geotech report states that nope, three and a half to one is really as far as steep as you want to go, so be it. Um, but again, what, what what's the public benefit, potential public benefit, um, if we went to steeper slopes, uh, if if it was if it was acceptable. Uh, it would minimize the environmental impacts in the naturalized area. It would uh, minimize the maintenance conflicts with the water main below the retaining wall. And it would reduce the future financial obligations incurred by the project. And, and this, this, for me, is sort of more of a general point, and that is, um, you know, I feel we, we really need to understand that, particularly with infrastructure, it's an ongoing obligation. It's an, it's an obligation that recurs. Project, the project on Rochester is a reconstruction. Um, you, you, build, you build the road and then eventually you have to replace the road. So that, that's, that will hold true with the retaining wall and the concrete slab. Eventually, um, in addition to the maintenance, there will likely at some point be a replacement cost. Uh, and then the interim, if the water main breaks, you're going to have to re remove and replace the wall for that reason. So for, so for those reasons, it seems to me appropriate to, um, to do the test um, at this point. More generally, one final comment I would make is that a general goal, in my view, and I think it particularly relates to infrastructure projects, is uh, applying a, a policy approach that emphasizes careful thought followed by minimum action. I, I just really feel we, um, you know, we, we literally cannot afford to do more than what is necessary on projects. And um, because as we know, we have, a, we have capital and, and um, infrastructure uh, liabilities and obligations that are going to be difficult to meet as we move forward. So I'm, I'm concerned that as, as we embark on these projects that we try to understand through careful thought what the minimum action is necessary in order to successfully complete them. 
so I, I just wanted to leave that with you. Uh, you know, I, I'm sorry that um, this took so long. Um, you know, I, again, I could I could try to do a post mortem here, but uh, um, you know, I think there were just I, I wish we'd all, in retrospect, sat around the table. We never had that opportunity of the neighbors, their consultants, city staff, council members to have a a chance to, to discuss this, I think perhaps we would have found out about the, uh, you know, the caveat on the, the three and a half to one slope earlier than we did. Um, and that might have made a difference. But um, anyway, I just, I thought I, I needed to bring it to council and uh, have, have some, make, make those comments. As Councillor Thomas has mentioned, I've been involved with the discussion on this for quite some time, and what it still just all boils down to me is that soil testing needs to be done, should have been done, and needs to be done to uh, justify the, the need for this wall. And, and I have no doubt that uh, any testing will show that a retaining wall is possibly necessary, but, but my question uh, also would be that um, what is, what is appropriate uh, for this uh, and, and attractive for that area? Uh, this is, uh, Rochester's a very, very busy street, a lot of traffic. Uh, what do we want to be visually appealing to folks to see? Uh, and, and I don't, my personal opinion is not a concrete slab that could also prove to be uh, dangerous from what we've heard from some of the biking community. Uh, if someone were to hit the curb and hit this concrete, that, that's not a good thing. And, and also the height of the wall, um, as we'd seen, I keep talking about the Park Road Bridge, you know, who would have ever thought that, that folks would uh, climb that or skateboard out on whatever if uh, if you build it they're gonna they're gonna do there there's someone out there that's going to to try to to climb this and and we need to be um, cautious of that and perhaps modify this project um, look at the approach and and uh, have something more appealing or or smaller or not at all but depending on this soil test I think that's absolutely necessary cool. um, and uh, also uh, having been working with this uh, for some time and, and uh, meeting with the homeowners and walking on the site and going through the reports and many of which uh, um, uh, Councillor Thomas has mentioned. And uh, I did share with the council I had put together after kind of like reflecting all upon that, um, the letter that I, the response back, the detailed response back. Um, and thank you, Councillor Thomas, because I had forgotten one of the changes that had already been made had been the shortening of the uh, pr proposed wall. So I think I had left that out of my letter. So, so you definitely uh, added in something that I had forgotten. Um, I'm going to push back a little bit on, and, and, and I'm not going to go through and read through the whole thing. That's why I put it in the council packet. Um, but I, I think, you know, one of the proposals is uh, to just to lower the wall just a little bit further. But when we're looking at, um, you know, that's just like a, there's still going to be a wall there. Um, and our engineers, uh, and I think they have, and as I said, the soil samples weren't on the actual slope, but other soil samples that we're taking nearby, while not conclusive, certainly don't lend um, themselves to, a re to me to a read that there's a, a good likelihood that there's gonna be something very different about the soils right there. Um, 
the fact that the slab has to be there, I think is, uh, to me, is consistent with the engineer's report that we have for the city that that needs to be there for the support. And I think that actually gets to, at, in a different, coming from the other direction, to Councillor Thomas's uh, comments, very wise comments about looking to the long-term expenses for the upkeep. And so if we don't have proper support for a retaining wall there, and if we don't have the proper slope behind it and all that goes into that, not only will we have to replace it, but we'll have to replace it sooner, potentially. Um, and so to me, that sort of, th these things, you know, balance off of each other. Um, and so that's why I said that, you know, when I shake all of these things out, and again, I won't rehash an entire letter, um, but I just don't think it rises to the level of requiring the council to step in and make yet another change on, on this. Even though I understand, uh, I wanted to agree with the homeowners on this, I, I get that their aesthetic concerns, um, uh, you know, and those are hard to, hard to gauge. Um, but, I, but I understand that and I appreciate that and I think that's, you know, it's certainly an important consideration, but just at the end of the day, not one that rose for me to a level of, of yet going back in and doing some more changes to this. So that's why I, that I've kind of felt that way. So I, I know that the concern is that the soil wasn't tested um, according to um, Councillor Thomas, and I know that's what we talked about, but it is my understanding that the soil was tested um, in 2020, and I looked at the report at one point, I found it, I can't put my finger on it right now, um, in the report, um, where it's cited, um, but that decision for soil testing was done after the city council made uh, a decision to remove the planned sidewalk from the from the project, um, and it was clear, uh, you know, that the council really wanted to limit the impact of trees and yards to be disturbed. Um, so, so that it was tested, and I just heard Councilor um, Harmson say it wasn't tested up the slope, but the anticipation is that. Um, I think it's B7 and B9, all those depths. It, those were tested. It just wasn't tested up the slope, but they also assumed that the same testing results would be that of the slope. Now, my thought is if we're going to relook at this, um, you know, we've been looking at our strategic plan as kind of our document. This was done before our strategic plan. Um, and. We said no sidewalk, um, which in our strategic plan, now we prioritize um, the needs of pedestrians, bicyclists, uh, transit riders, um, and other forms of transportation um, uh, almost greater than that of automobiles. And so if we're going to relook at this, I think we really need to open up that opportunity for a sidewalk again, especially if you're talking about those long-term cost, um, but we know that the, um, the, the sidewalk was not um, a favorable option for the residents. One of the things that we've mentioned um, that Councilor Thomas and uh, the mayor have mentioned is cost, and I'm acutely aware of cost of delay. The project has already been delayed. Um, and is now under construction. Then additionally, um, I think about d the number of um, residents along Rochester who would be and currently are impacted by the construction and if, how much longer 
they would have to wait for this. So at the same time that I am appreciative of the neighbors really um, thoughtfully and thoroughly going into detail about what they saw the problems to be and for the counselors as well to, to go back and read the reports and um, talk to the neighbors. I'm aware also of how many people would be impacted by this um, in, a, in a way that um, in terms of cost and in terms of delay of project and how many more people in the neighborhood um, would be impacted by this. So my understanding is that construction has started again so that this piece of Rochester can be finished, which also has downriver, uh, so to speak, uh, downstream um, impacts because we also have Court Street scheduled and there has to be a way to get to City High, right? So with more delays, it's not just the impact of this particular situation, it really is impacting projects throughout the city um, in ways that are going to impact a great number of people. Um, so I just wanted to mention that as well. Um, Yeah, I had the opportunity, John, to talk with you about this, and I, I think um, you know where I come down is kind of the proportionality of the impact on this, the changes that have been like the changes that could be made. Let's say the soil was tested. Let's assume that it shows a steeper slope is okay. That was kind of my thinking. Let's proceed that way. Okay. Well, I operate on the assumption that our staff hear our direction and understand that they need to be operating with careful thought and with, you know, minimal, um, Action, right, if that's the right term. Um, save energy. Yeah, to save energy, to save materials, to save those costs, to save labor. Um, and so I think, you know, my understanding of the whole issue is that the, the question of exactly where and how tall the wall is or could be and how steep the slopes are or could be is all within very reasonable interpretations by professionals. And so, you know, it's, it's not so much a matter of um, it that that the code i mean i and i think i said to you i understood that the code said it could be a steeper slope depending on what occurred and so i was operating on this understanding of let's assume it can be a steeper slope what at this stage with every you know the plan as it's proceeded what would we need to see in order to for this to rise to the level that we would intervene and so i just don't i don't feel like it's proportional given the potential of delay and additional cost of re-engineering and all of those things. I, I did mention, I, I, I'm, I, I know there's concerns about project delays, which is why I mentioned the um, reference by the, the engineer to the, to the neighborhood that, um, you know, <coughs> making these changes the, either redesign or just field adjustments. It would be a relatively simple process. I, you know, um, the wall isn't moving. It's it's in the same location. We would be uh, reducing the height, perhaps in some locations, and eliminating it entirely in others. Um, that's a subtraction in the scope of work, which suggests to me, and it's not changing any alignments. Um, could very well not affect the schedule. Again, it's, it's like with soil testing. We could confirm that. We don't need to speculate about it, but um, 
you know, I, I, I hear what you all are saying. Um, and, you know, I, I understand that this partly just because this thing has been so drawn out, um, it, it just seems to be burdensome. Um, but as I said, we build this wall, it, we own it, it, it for the rest of time. So <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I would say. I can also say that I have personal experience with the retaining wall starting to crumble because it was not sufficiently supported, so. Oh, absolutely. No, I have no doubt that this wall is going to stand. And it was painful. I, um, it was very painful. <coughs> All right, so it doesn't sound like there is majority to do any changes on this project, so we will move on to item number three, which is clarification of agenda items. I did want to make one, um, uh, one acknowledgement. Um, Councilor Burgess reached out to let me know that item 6D, mm -hmm. uh, she has a conflict with, and so she'll be recruiting herself. And that item, just to state what it is, is the loan agreement with the downtown district. So she'll be recruiting herself. And I will um, first have us do, um, I'll get a motion for items three through eight with a separate consideration for 6D. So we'll all vote and then uh, Councilor Burgess will have to remove herself from this area and then we'll um, consider item 6D at that time. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you, Mayor. Any other agenda, clarification, clarification of agenda items? Well, Mayor, I was going to maybe just talk with you, but I could address it with the whole group. You all know that I'm intending to make an oral motion relating to the budget. And so I talked with Eric right before the meeting and um, just talking about like procedurally, where exactly does that happen? Um, because we could have a motion to uh, approve the resolution, a second public hearing, and then an amendment proposed during uh, council discussion, but also I think since I'm trying to kind of forefront this and be as transparent as possible, I think I would intend just to make it right off the bat. If there is a second, we could proceed. If there's not, it would fail and we would go on. Does that sound okay, Mayor? Um, let me make sure I understand you correctly. So when this will be after public hearing, or you're thinking that you would make comments prior to public hearing? Not comments, just the motion. Is that, Eric, am I? <laughs> right, the motion to amend. Of course, the motion is, to, or the resolution is to approve the budget. And so what Councillor Burgess is discussing is when is it that she would propose her motion to amend the budget? And uh, the, the question kind of comes down to whether that should be done before or after the public has had an opportunity to make comment. And so my suggestion to her was that she should make her motion right off the bat and before public comment so that if the public wishes to weigh in in, in favor of or opposed to uh, the motion to amend that they could do so. Question, are you referring to when we get to that item or when we start the formal meeting? Oh yeah, when we get to the budget item. Uh, and to be specific, the budget for next fiscal year, because we have two budget items. Yes. Uh, three, yeah, sorry. <laughs> we got the, the plan, the fiscal plans as well, yes. So we would have a motion and a second on the budget, and then a proposed 
the motion for a proposed motion right. so for an amendment. The, the motion in a second to approve the underlying budget, that's your starting point. Right, and right. then Councillor Burgess uh, would presumably make a motion to amend that budget uh, in the way that she will articulate. And then it either has a second or it doesn't. And then, uh, then move to public comment at that point. So then if the, if the motion doesn't get a second, the amendment right. doesn't get a second, we have right. public comment, but then the motion is still Dead. The motion would be dead the if there's no second. That's right. I think with that in mind, it'd make more sense to hear from the public first before we have, doesn't it? Well, I, I mean, because otherwise it could potentially, just without, without presupposing any outcomes, it could potentially not have the public, meaning it just seems like it would be backwards. That's a good point. What I, what I, what I think is the intent, which I agree with, with from Councillor Burgess, is to be upfront and transparent as to what we'll all be talking about when it gets to council discussion. Because when it gets to council discussion, the public is done. Mm -hmm. Right. So I appreciate the opportunity to kind of um, put it out there up front, that proposal that she's going to do. Um, and I think, um, I believe we'll get a second. I mean, I'm more than willing to give a second on just to have the discussion because I think okay. we're going to hear about it. So, um, oh, well, I can't give a second. I'm, I'm, but anyway, you know. Um. I think if I'm understanding your furrowed brows in question is that if the motion doesn't get a second, that then there is no opportunity for public comment? Is that what? Because right. that would be a de facto decision. Then it would be, right, right. If there's no second, that's a de facto decision. So you're just wanting to make sure that whatever procedure we d whatever procedure we go through is to be able to give the public an opportunity to comment. Yes, yes, yes. and so it would be relevant to, yeah. to that decision, make, to be relevant to our decision-making process. That's, that's, that's my, my only we, desire. With the second, we'd still then vote as a council as to whether we support the amendment right. or not, but we right. wouldn't. We would wouldn't vote on that until after we heard the public comment. Correct. Right. Correct. So, and, that, and that's, if, that's kosher. Yes, I believe so. And then, and if, that, we, if that failed, we would then take up. We we wouldn't vote on the amendment until after public comment. Right. Yeah. Right. Correct. Correct. And if that failed, we then would vote again on the budget without the amendment. Right. Or another amendment. Or an amendment. Underlying <laughs> <laughs> right. budget amended or not, depending right. on council's yes. vote. Right. Yeah, because the original That's motion would still right. be there. Yes. The original motion will still be there. Any questions? I'm glad I brought that up. Okay. Yeah, not hard at all. Time to hash that out. Yes. You know, so. <clears throat> so any any questions about that? I'm just going to follow leads. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Anything else about the formal agenda? Moving on to item number four, which is the informational packet discussion, March 23rd. Information packet March 30th. There is an IP5 um, a memo from a memo from our city clerk in relationship to the joint entities meeting agenda. And so we just have to talk about what items, if any, this council wants to 
uh, submit for that agenda. I don't know that it needs to be a full agenda item, but I guess I'd like your input. Um, just with the understanding that the we talked about transit the last two um, joint entities meetings, and that they're um, the bus rapid transit study feasibility study the RFP for a consultant to undertake that study was released and I think uh, they uh, proposals were due back already last week so if we get an update on just the status of that I think it'd be worth mentioning but I don't know that there needs to be a, lot, a whole agenda item but I'm happy to provide that update I think that'd be great do we, I, I imagine that <laughs> the school district, um, they they are a part of this, so if they wanted to put something on the agenda, we would just leave that up to them and we would not initiate that. So it sounds like Iowa City would just have one item submitting. Okay, and Councilor Burgess, you'll give the update. Thank you. I actually had a, um, just if we're moving on to other uh, um, IP numbers, I would just like to, um, let me see, it's IP3 for pending work session topics. I would like uh, to get a sense from council if you'd be willing to revisit um, the preliminary plan to restructure the police that was put out in um, 2020. And we haven't had a, well, we haven't gone back to it, and I would like very much for that to be a pending work session. We can look at um, where we're at um, and and what steps might we need to finalize that. So I just wanted to put that forward to see if others would be in favor, and we can put that on the on the pending topics list, hopefully with, with some sense of, um, you know, sooner rather than later. Yeah. We can put that on the list. Um, and get update because there has been some update, yes. but we won't deliberate. Right. So yes. All right. Anything else from the March 30th <coughs> information packet? I'll, I'll just mention uh, IP4 where there is an update on the affordable housing action plan update and, and looking at that and you know, Jeff referenced it as well. And uh, that is going to be a mammoth undertaking <laughs> as I view it and there. Uh, the devil will be in the details. That is a very, you know, looking at how other cities have attempted to um, make revisions on, on that level, that comprehensively, it's uh, it's going to be challenging. Um, but just wanted to react to it in, in that way. All right, any other items? And number five, do we know if our USG representatives are on Zoom? Okay, so council will probably get a update in our email from them and then we'll be able to share that in our next information packet. Item number six, council updates on assigned boards, commissions and committees. 
this one particular committee, I, it wasn't really assigned by the mayor, I sort of assigned myself. Rachel Kilberg had sent out uh, a message to folks and who was interested in, in participating in the Disability Services Coordinating Committee, and I, I applaud Rachel for uh, uh, developing that, and it, it meets every other month uh, via Zoom, uh, but one part of that, which is coming up very soon, tomorrow in fact, uh, she's planned an accessibility-focused listening post, and it's going to follow uh, the lines of how our listening post counts listening post event. People will just uh, come and go as they please from 4 o'clock till 5.30 at, at the library meeting room A, uh, and hopefully um, there will be a lot of community involvement as far as uh, what they feel um, related to accessibility in the city. So, But I applaud Rachel for, for establishing that committee and, and doing this listening post. Thank you. If you're listening, Rachel. <laughs> Where is she? Oh, she's down there. I can't see you. Thank you. <laughs> and we'll see her. Uh, and are you joining at that meeting? I, I, yeah, I will, I will be in attendance, yes. Great. I was hoping to, so it remains to be seen. Um, but I'm going to try and sneak in there. Rachel, will you have sub is this going to be an ongoing sort of thing, or do you have any idea on that? And introduce yourself, please. <laughs> uh, Rachel Kilberg, uh, City Manager's Office. Um, we're kind of uh, just, you know, planning this one. Just good practice to have it every now and then. And then we're also looking at um, just different accessibility barriers throughout the um, city right now. Anyway, so we thought it would mesh well. So um, there's known. It's not like a series planned or anything, but I'm sure it will happen again in the future. I, I'm interested as well, so if yeah, maybe we can rotate that in some way. Yep. Would would now be an appropriate time for an update on the Refugees Alliance? Um, we're we're doing boards and commissions, but you can give that update at the end of our formal meeting. Cool. Great. Any other updates? I was excited for the, my first Jack meeting, but it was canceled. So June. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> Mayor USG is on. Okay. Yay! Yay! Figure out how to. Okay. So USG will kind of try to get you connected to give us an update. Hello, we can hear you. Oh, I'm on. Sorry. Hello, Sorry. welcome. Sorry, Council, we're having some technical errors. We're trying to, we're watching the live stream, but we're a little bit behind, but. Awesome. So this is Noah, Keaton's also here as well. Um, we'll give our announcements really quick here. Uh, so obviously in um, semi-disappointing news, but still really good news, women's basketball got second place, losing to LSU on Sunday. Um, First Lady Jill Biden has said that both teams may be invited to the White House, so we'll see on that. Um, in important USG news, uh, USG has had our elections. Last week, we determined the administration for next year. We have a ton of amazing new and returning senators, as well as a new president, Mitch Winterland, and Vice President Carly O'Brien. And I'm sure you'll see them at least once or twice. Uh, next up is Hawkeye Caucus Day. The, coming up on August 12th, all of USG will be going to the Iowa Capitol to meet with elected officials and to discuss university goals and funding. Uh, that's all our really announcements are. Uh, I hope you guys all have a good day. 
great. Thank you for those announcements. And I know that um, the women's basketball team has certainly made this city very proud. Uh, um, yesterday they had that, uh, that welcome back. Um, and it was super exciting to see them. So uh, cheers to them. There will be an event. I'll just mention this while USG just made mention about that. There will be a women's basketball team event on April 14th at 5.30 p.m. And it'll be at the Pentecrest. So get ready for that celebration. April 14th, 5 p.m. you said? 5.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If nothing else for, the, uh, for this time, we will adjourn and be back at 6 p.m. for our formal meeting.